Hey there, and welcome back to Holistic Health Masterclass Podcast. This is Brett, and uh, we're back with another episode. Um, no major announcements today, but I do briefly want to touch on um, what is going on here in Canada, and I'm actually looking to do another episode on that. But uh, the Freedom Convoy slash trucker um, occupation, whatever you want to call it, uh, has just blown up. And uh, we are now coming on, I think we're over two weeks already, uh, give or take, at time of recording. And uh, I have a lot of thoughts and comments to share with you on that. Um, But I wanted to get this episode out because I actually recorded this episode about three weeks ago. Uh, We had um, a couple of family illnesses and stuff like that, kids home from school. So uh, I I didn't get around to publishing this. Um, But uh, yeah, I I have some really, really good insights i feel and uh, i also want to bring you the truth on on what's really going on with that um i spent some time in ottawa i've I've gone to the uh these these big protests and i can tell you that what we're seeing in the media is just not what's happening on the ground um it's it's almost 180 degrees opposite and uh, so my goal is to um, bring you what is actually happening on the ground but i don't want to get too far ahead of uh, the story there um, because there's some major developments that are happening uh, this week uh, at time of recording. Um, so I think uh, hopefully I'll get something out next week and uh, have an update on um, how that started and how it's basically uh, progressed and where we're at. So in today's episode, I'm joined by Paul from Winter Oak, and uh, we are discussing the very sticky subject of climate change, and uh, perhaps more importantly, the solutions to the climate change problems that we are facing. Uh, Right from the get-go here, I just want to get this out front, Um, we broach a very controversial topic here, and there's a lot of different shades of gray there's a lot of different areas that uh you know require different different approaches let's put it that way but really um you know i want to just say this up front that we are not climate change deniers and you will hear that in the episode that's not what this is about what we are talking about is acknowledging that we do have issues within the climate right within the environment okay i think everyone agrees on that what we are questioning and what we're bringing up here are the proposed solutions to these problems. And for those of you who have listened to the show for a while, you would have heard me talk about uh, things like the uh, World Economic Forum, uh, Vanguard, BlackRock, um, the revolving, not revolving door, but the partnerships here between things like foundations, nonprofits, etc. And so what we're doing, and and I've mentioned this before on the show that we were going to talk about climate change and we will have more episodes on this, Uh, I want to bring this to um, the forefront because it's going to become front and center. And what we need to be aware of is for people like you and me um, in our space, uh, I think that there's a lot that we should be doing in terms of looking at sustainable systems, right? The systems that we have in place are not sustainable at all uh, in many respects. And so we do need to be looking at these solutions, but I wanna look at solutions that are truly holistic. I wanna look at solutions that do in fact serve the planet, the people of the planet, the inhabitants, our non-human friends, the plant species, etc. cetera. Uh, we want that. All right, but what we're starting to see out there is we're actually starting to see that there is this almost like a fake green movement 
right, or greenwashing movement, whereby a lot of these solutions are not benevolent philanthropic solutions by the, the billionaire class. These are, in fact, uh, technocratic solutions that um, do a great disservice to the planet, the people, and its inhabitants, all right? And that is what we're questioning here, and that is what we're bringing up, all right? Uh, we talk about things like the uh, the Green New Deal. We talk about, um, you know, the corporatization of the climate change movement. We talk about the monetization of activism and uh, topics there within within that space. What I really enjoyed about this conversation is the second, well, probably the last third of our conversation, we really start getting into stuff that's maybe a little bit more philosophical and talking about spirituality and a holistic view of the world. And I think that that's really where we need to be going in terms of looking at uh, the problems that we're facing. So um, I enjoyed this conversation. Um, it might be a little bit different from what you're used to, uh, but nonetheless, we're always uh, trying to at least push the envelope a little bit here and uh, have these types of conversations because, you know, if you thought the COVID conversation and the pandemic conversation was hard, I think the climate change one is going to be a lot harder. And uh, there's a lot of, um, you know, if you look at the verbiage, if you look at the advertising for this, uh, it's it's very, very difficult to wrap your head around because we all want the things that we're being sold I think the thing that we're disagreeing on is the solutions or the proposed solutions that are being put on the table. So uh, with that, um, let's launch into today's podcast with Paul from Winter Oak. Hey, Paul, um, welcome to Holistic Health Masterclass podcast. Hello, Brad. Thanks very much for having me on. Yeah. How are you doing today? I'm fine, thank you. Yeah, nice sunny day down here. Good, good, good. Um, so, you know, we're we're going to jump into uh, a bunch of stuff today, and I've made some notes. And, and I think for our listeners and people watching, uh, I just want to kind of tee up a couple of things. Um, the first thing, and we'll get into what you do. You know, I'm, I'm always interested to find out how people got to where they are and how they started out and all that sort of thing. But really, um, what we want to talk about today is the... The, the climate change movement, uh, I think, let's just leave it at that for now, and what's actually driving that, because I think, um, I don't know if you would agree with me, but I, I can see the COVID narrative is starting to crumble pretty quickly, and um, we're, we're rapidly moving into the climate change narrative um, with many of the same sort of strategies, if you will. But before we get into that, I mean, you run a, a website called, uh, it's a nonprofit organization called Winter Oak. Um, can you perhaps explain to us uh, what what you do and, and what your uh, main sort of aim is with that website and organization? Yeah, sure. Well, um, it started off really as a, uh, as a, as a publishing house for... Uh, there's a few of my books we published and uh, some other people's. And, um, and we put out a little bulletin just to illustrate um, illustrate what we were publishing and uh, provide a bit of general interest around what we we're putting out. But uh, gradually, as time went on, the, uh, the the political content became much more important than the books. I've, I've ended up, um, I've put the books uh, as free PDFs on, on the site now. So it's not, it's not about selling anything. I mean, it wasn't really... Well, it was, never, it was never commercially orientated, but there was the hope that we might be able to 
keep the thing going by having uh, by selling some books, you know. But now mm. all that's sort of gone to the wind, and it's just really just about getting out information and uh, and, and spreading some some truth and understanding in this world where it's in such so- short supply, as I'm sure you'd agree. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to read for our listeners here, uh, you know, Winter Oak is a nonprofit organization with a serious aversion to industrial capitalism and a commitment to social justice. Uh, since 2013, we've published a number of books and we produce regular articles along with an online information bulletin. Um, and, you know, then there's the, the section that I really want to focus on today because uh, longtime listeners to the show, you know, we've I've discussed the Great Reset. I've discussed uh, things like the Fourth Industrial Revolution and technocracy and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so people, you know, can go back into the archives. But a lot of, you know, the climate capitalism is really one of the main features of your site. And I think that's where we want to spend most of our time today. Um, and it ties in with the Great Reset and, and you know, where this is all headed, uh, the monetization or the financialization of, uh, of, of nature in a, in a way. But um, I guess, you know, for us to start, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, in, in the space, because it gets pretty sticky, right? And would you say, you know, I mean, let's just hit it right on the head. Uh, do you agree that climate change is an issue, for, first of all? Uh, yes, I mean, uh, I think it, it, I agree that it exists. Uh, I think it's a very a narrow, a very narrow turning of the greater problem that exists, which is that of uh, industrialization, industrial civilization, which is, uh, which is, which is leading us into disaster on a, an environmental and a human level, in my opinion. Uh, well, I should have gathered from the synopsis of, uh, of what, what we do on the site. So the actual label climate, climate justice or climate change is to me a stepping back from, from, from the overall reality. That's the immediate problem I have with it. It's not that there isn't such a thing as climate change. It would be incredible if all, all the uh, industrialization, all the factories and airports and um, transports and all the rest of it that's happening in the world, it would be amazing if there wasn't any any effect on the climate. Yeah. That's just a small drop in the ocean of all the pollution and degradation and destruction and, uh, and just a complete disaster that has been, that has been wrought on, the, on, our, on our world in the name of profit and yeah. growth, so-called progress. So, yeah. So it's not, I don't, you know, it exists. Yeah. And I think, I think that's where, that's where the problem comes in. And we'll dig into this in a minute is that as soon as you challenge the, the supposed solutions to climate change and you say, well, hang on a second, I don't agree with the solutions, which we're going to talk about today. Then all of a sudden you're branded as some crazy, you know, right wing extremist who's a science denier and climate change denier and what have you. And I think, um, you know, you and I probably sit in the same camp where, uh, I, I mean, I don't think anyone could argue that there is we have destroyed our environment, you know, in so many different ways, uh, whether you want to talk about industrial farming, whether you, you know, whatever it is. Right. And um, and that that I think gets lumped under climate change. But I think for a lot of people, when they think of something like climate change, you know, it, it's it's what what I call a, a thought terminating cliche. You know, you think climate change. And then if someone is doing anything to combat climate change, that is automatically deemed to be a good thing. Yes. Yes, that's, that's the way it's meant to work. I mean, that, I mean, that is part of this narrowing of the term, I think. And the, 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 the solutions 
device is is is, is very typical of, uh, of of that sort of world that we're talking about. But they present a they present a problem in exactly the format in which they happen to have the solution, the apparent solution for sale, ready ready in the stock rooms, ready to wheel out. Oh yeah, this is a very narrow problem like this, and we have a very narrow solution like that, and no need to look at the bigger picture. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so let, let's talk about that. Like, what would, how would you define climate capitalism? Like, what is, what does that mean to you, or what would a definition be for us? Well, it's the uh, climate capitalism is a um, this initiative that has been taking place to use a very real threat, the, the threat to the environment, including to the, cli to the climate, to um, push forward. What is it? What is in fact an acceleration? The same process, which has led us to that to, to that problem, it's, it's it's an acceleration of in, industrialization, which is presenting itself as, as the opposite, which is presenting itself as something green, in, a, in any case, something something some kind of solution to an environmental problem, but it is in fact um, it's it is wrapped up to um, it's wrapped up to say that it is a, a solution, but it is in fact. Uh, a worsening it re would represent a worsening of where we are already because what they've got in uh, in mind are industrial solutions right right to this problem you know to this problem uh, which is which is which is no solution <laughs> you yes. can't, you can't. so it it seems it seems to me like um another way of putting that is it's almost like an evolution of greenwashing right because yeah. you know like in my space anyway, you know, I've done a lot of um, podcasting on this. I taught nutrition and the environment for 10 or 12 years. And so, you know, you, in that program that I taught, you would look at things like toxic personal care products is a good example, right? So chemical cleaning products and stuff like that. And back when I first started teaching that, I mean, you you would try and find a, a green product and there weren't that many around. And when you did find them, they were really good because no one was doing them, no one was really aware of them. And I think if you fast forward now, you know, everything is green. You know, you, you got something from Clorox and all of a sudden it's made with natural ingredients, right? Or what have you. So so we've seen this mass greenwashing campaign over the last maybe five to 10 years. And while that on its own is not necessarily a major cause for concern because, you know, someone who's educated can just go and read labels and kind of bring themselves up to speed. But what we're talking about now is something that really is is a far more nefarious, if you will, evolution of greenwashing that is not just going to impact uh, people, but actually impact the natural world as as we know it. Um, is that a fair synopsis from from your point, from your perspective? Yeah, yes, to totally. And it is greenwashing, but it's greenwashing taking to a, to a whole new level, as you say. It's, it's, yeah. It's so, and, and I think part of what comes with that, you know, so um, just to kind of, again, provide some context, we're recording now January 12th, and um, the, I think it was COP26, right? COP26 happened in the UK um, a couple of months ago. And of course, big, you know, everyone rolling in in their private jets, obviously, and everyone's kind of eating vegan food and whatnot. And then this big, you know, lots of noise about we got to save the planet. And I think for a lot of people, when you look at this on the surface, um, you know, you look at language used by organizations like the World Economic Forum and that sort of thing, you know, the, the sustainable development goals from the UN, a lot of this stuff looks very good on, on the surface, right? I mean, you know, who wouldn't want to save the planet? Who wouldn't want to do these things? Um, 
but but now what we're starting to see is we're starting to see the sort of corporatization of activism, if you will. Can you perhaps um, share a little bit about that? Because you've done a lot of research on your website and you actually list um, numerous organizations. So what would you what would you uh, how would you explain to people the corporatization, if you will, of um, of activism? What's going on there? Well, uh, the um, the big expert in all this really is Corey Morningstar, mm-hmm. I'm sure you, a Canadian journalist and, yeah. uh, who's, who's spent many years looking into all of this. I, I was, became very aware of it uh, about three years ago with Extinction Rebellion in in in, in the UK. Who, uh, when they when they burst on the scene to start with, I was quite impressed and pleased that they were there because they were putting out a. Uh, an envi- a deep green message, it seemed to me, in my naivety. <laughs> but I, felt I knew people who were involved in it because, um, you know, I was in those environmental circles in uh, in, in, in England. And um, so I thought, oh, yeah, that's good. You know, they might not, their message might be a little bit, a little bit soft or a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit non-confrontational. But that's fine. That's a tactic, you know, because they want to win over the general public. They don't need... I mean, I agree with them in a way that is, you don't always need to, to go in in a sort of ultra-radical mode and chain yourselves to things or, you know, set fire to things. Or whatever. You, there are different ways of, of, of approaching these issues. And I was defending them for a, for a while, actually, because I thought, well, no, behind, behind all that, they're probably good people. And, uh, and then um, three years ago, they suddenly... Uh, they exposed themselves as being something else because then a letter appeared in the Times, which in the, the you know the famous uh, London newspaper, and uh, and which was backed up by a website that was, was that appeared out of nowhere called uh, XR Business Leaders, Extinction Rebellion Business Leaders, and this uh, and this letter was signed by and the site was uh, listed uh, a whole range of uh, corporate people. That, that were apparently supported um, supported Extinction Rebellion, which had signed up to supporting Extinction Rebellion. And when I looked at it and f- looked to see who these people were, they weren't just business people who were, you know, were selling, um, you know, bicycles or uh, recycled um, coats or something. It wasn't just you know small green businesses. It was these it was these these big companies and people from people involved with Unilever and uh, a lot of impact in uh, impact investors. Which I didn't know what that was at the time. Uh, now I've found out, but uh, it was a whole corporate world was, was backing them, and, um, and 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 they, for some reason, they decided that this this was okay to come clean on this. They must have been carried yeah. along by some sort of wave of over optimism, like <laughs> but it but it backlashed because of, you know a large amount of this a number of their supporters were disgusted because they weren't you know they didn't want to have anything to do with these people. And they pulled down the website about a day after the, we put an expose up on, on, on Winter Oak. And I think it was about 24 hours later. Wow. They, they, their site disappeared. But uh, the letter was still there on the Times. And we, you know, we, we captured, uh, captured the information. <laughs> so, so, the info, so it was out there. And, um, and once you've seen that, once I'd seen it, I'd understood. And it all began to make sense. Yeah. So, so perhaps um, explain, you know, what impact investing actually is, because I don't think a lot of people really understand that. No, it's very complicated. It yeah. took me a long time to understand. There's uh, somebody, um, a researcher called Alison McDowell, 
who's very good on that, who, who runs a site called uh, wrenchinthegears.com. Yeah, I've, I've had her on the show uh, once, and uh, yeah, so I, I know her work fairly well. Um, but it's the same thing, right? I think she's one of the few people that can really articulate it. Um, but even in speaking with her, she'll just like go down the rabbit hole to the point where you're like, uh, okay, don't, don't quite know what you're talking about anymore. But in, in simple terms, what would impact investing be? Um, hmm. Well, it's um, they're basically trying to, as far as I can see, they're trying to create a whole new type of economy based on the, uh, the privatization of the, uh, the roles that, have, that are currently being carried out by the state to a large part. So they're, they're taking advantage of the fact that states don't have any more money because of all the austerity measures and cuts they've been having for, for decades now. And so uh, states need to call upon you know, private bodies to, 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 do the, to do their work for them. So these people don't even know about paying up front. There's these schemes where they'll, they'll invest supposedly for the, for the common good, for the social good, they'll invest in the in good outcomes, good social outcomes. Mm. And this includes climate. That's one of their key areas, but it also can be poverty or racism, or other forms of discrimination, illness, mental illness. Food, another big yeah. Food, you know, things that are important. Again, like, they, like the environmental issues. Not that these are not, you know, they're, they're not, not important issues, and they mm. appear to be doing the good thing. They appear to be on the right side. But for them, it's just a way of, uh, of creating a creating a product, in fact. And uh, on the sh- on the immediate superficial level, they will uh, they will uh, try to achieve a certain outcome by a supposed solution. Or it's always these these neatly packaged solutions that they propose, which nobody knows if it's really a solution, but it's a solution in its own terms. And they can prove that this solution solution has apparently succeeded. By tracking everything that's happening online, which is which is why there's this digital element. Everything has to go online. Everybody's life has to be all registered and calculated online. Because then they can say, "Oh, look, we achieved a 31% improvement on this, or a 13%." On, you know, so we're going to mm-hmm. we're going to take our money that the state said it will pay us because we've saved the state all those th- hundreds of thousands of pounds that it would have had to spend on bringing this person out of poverty, or uh, you know, sorting out this environmental issue. We've done that. So we, uh, we, we're saving the state money. We're not parasites. But we're, we're taking our bit of money. But the, the, the next level, which Alison McDowell goes at some length to explain, which is difficult, more difficult to understand, is that they, they package all these, um, these solutions or their work, these solution, problems and solutions are all packaged up like, uh, like debts, like those, um, those uh, subprime mortgage debts that, that, that were, that were speculated just before the 2008 crash mm-hmm. yeah. people's actual lives become the bundles that they're, they're, they're investing in and investing against betting against you know because there's all that stuff with the, with the stock exchanges and speculators they're they're they're, they're, they're shorting and all that. You know, I'm, not, I'm not i'm not into the stock exchange so I've, I've had to i've had to sort of come up to speed a bit on all their terminology but but basically they're betting for and against outcomes and bundling people's lives together and they're creating a whole new market because they're running out of um, they're running out of real of real life um, traditional markets from which to, uh, to 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 benefit perhaps and so they need like they're expanding they're like creating an, opening up a new territory exploring a new world of potential uh, of potential speculation and profit yeah and uh, this seems to be and it's better. So it's a, and there's a, they're open. They're open. Though. They're 
doing and the fact that impact um, impact capitalism exists. One of the one of the main people behind it is uh, someone called Sir Ronald Cohen, who's British. He was uh, very close to Tony Blair when he was in power. Probably still is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, he was he was he's been involved in that sort of thing since the 1990s. That sort of social the merger of but the private money coming in to work with the state. And now this is this is this is the new dimension which which is at stake in this this, this impact investment. He's, he's written a book about it. He's very proud of himself for having spearheaded this. But it seems to be one of the one of the cornerstones of everything that's happening at the moment. Hmm. I mean, um, yeah, and it is complex. I mean, I, I think a lot of people are just feeling their way in the dark right now, myself included. You know, so it's great to just chat with you because I, there's a lot of things I don't genuinely know. And um, but you know, um, I, I guess another way to put this is we're sort of moving out of this uh, extraction type of economy, if I'm not mistaken, right? So like uh, fiat currency, you know, I mean, like here in Canada, Trudeau, our, our prime minister, has racked up $1.3 trillion in debt over the last two years. You know, the, I think countries around the world are just printing money like it's going out of style. And, um, you know, there's economists that have done analyses on that, and they've basically said that, if if we're lucky, we're going to pay that off by 2070, you know, it's, and, and I don't think we're going to pay it off at all. And so, you know, we, we are witnessing this sort of planned demolition of the systems that we have right now in favor of these new systems, which don't often have a lot of things backing them, right, except for the social, well, I don't want to say social outcomes, but outcomes, you know, outcomes-based um, in investing. And of course, to track all of that and to measure these outcomes, you have to put everything on the blockchain. And and I believe, personally, I believe that this is why the vaccine passports are are the gateway to all of that. Uh, you know, that that is why they're there. And um, I think most people, if you asked anyone in the street, like, are vaccine passports working? I think we're seeing around the world now that they're not. Um, you know, cases are going up and nothing's really changed. I mean, we're here January 12th and we're in lockdown. The schools are closed. You know, nothing's changed in, in uh, going on year number three now. So we know that they don't work, but um, all of it is is to usher us into this digital domain, um, as you were saying. But let's let's bring ourselves back onto um, onto the climate side of things. Right. Um, you know, yeah. so so maybe I think it might be useful for people like what would an example look like of of monetizing an outcome in the climate space like i don't know if you can share something like that with us oh i don't have that um like something specific, specific yeah really okay knowledge. yeah um, and that's fine um so so how would so let's just zoom out then um how would someone how, how would we monetize nature like how how does that even happen well there um yeah, they've started on this. This is this is the idea behind the, uh, the the New Deal, the New Deal for Nature, which they're trying to uh, yeah, trying to push through at the moment. A lot of people. It keeps changing its name. Nature Positive, I think, is one of the latest. Yeah, uh, I was looking. I was reading that last night, and yeah, the, it was it was kind of interesting because one of the things you had on the website was you know just go and go and Google that term. And uh, and I did that, and I went and Googled it, and holy smokes, man, it's very interesting just to see what comes up, and and you know, kind of ties back in with this whole corporate activism, and uh, and you know, again on the surface, it looks super positive, it looks great, 
Um, but then you get into behind the scenes and, and it's definitely got this very seedy underbelly, um, if, if you will. So how are these companies, I mean, if we're going to corporatize activism and all of that, how are they, how are they, how are they making money and how are we monetizing or financializing nature? Mm. It's, um, I suppose it already started with this offsetting, all that sort of carbon offsetting and, 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 and tree planting and, uh, and the rest of it, which allows them to carry on polluting elsewhere. You know, that idea that if a company can build a horrible chemical plant here, but as long as they, you know, as long as they, uh, you know, move three of the ducks that used to live there uh, to another side, thousand miles away, you know, plant some bushes, then it's all fine. Uh, but I think it's an, ex- it's an extension of that that is um, these whole this idea of the protected areas in the world that they want to have thirty uh, percent or fifty percent even sometimes of the world as a protected area. But mainly, that mainly seems to be about throwing off the people that live there, uh, which to me is an attack on nature because because human human beings are part of nature, and uh, the, the 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 combination of, of traditional human settlement and the natural world is what has created landscapes and uh, that's what's created the landscape of Africa, for example. This is what they're really targeting on Africa with this, which is, just a, which is kind of, it's an imperialism, really. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a continuation of imperialism. They're using, whereas before they used uh, the 19th century or whatever, they would have used the excuse that these poor people were backwards and, uh, you know, they, they hadn't discovered the uh, Christianity, or they hadn't discovered, you know, the modern way of living. Now they're saying, "Oh no, these these people are these, these people living on the living on the on those on the lovely countryside. They're are destroying it, and we need we need to protect the, you know the, 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 the local people that go out poaching, uh, go out hunting, are described as poachers, which is which is resuscitating something which they what they did in England centuries ago when they when they when they announced that you know it was it was a crime to go and you know gather pick wood up in the, in the, in the, in the aristocrats uh, forest or to, to hunt the hunt the king's uh, deer and, uh, and and so on so it's the, the idea of uh, they're suggesting there's an illegality involved in people living in the land where they've where they've always lived in the way that they always have lived. interesting and that they're yeah wow they're some sort of greater authority but acting in the interests of, uh, of nature yeah. Well, so and of course, me. there's all of the resources that come with that. You know, I'm sure if it's a protected area and we can extract the resources for good, um, then that's okay. You know, so long as we're using them for good. But the other thing, you know, and, and just I'll just make mention of it here um, because I have just recently done a podcast with um, with a, a Belgian professor on the future of food. And one of the things we discuss in there is the whole eat lancet um, and this whole idea of the whole world going, you know, quasi vegan or a vegetarian. And you know, I've always said, well, so if you want everyone to be vegan, what are you going to do with a, a Nigerian goat herder? You, you know, um, how are you going to stop? The, the, there's a large percentage of the world who are small-scale subsistence farmers. You know, they take care of themselves and their family. How are you going to oust them? And I think we've just um, we've just hit that nail on the head, where if you classify their their homeland as a protected area, um, you basically tell them that they can't do it anymore. Um, yeah, and you shut them off to live in a smart city somewhere, connect them up to the internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, just a couple of other notes here. Um, 
how how does this all you know one of the big things that you also focus on on the website is is um this idea of the of the nonprofit organizations and uh, this is something i covered in um a podcast called who are they uh, so for listeners here you can go back and and we'll get into the long format of that but how does all of this tie in now with these nonprofit organizations and organizations like the world economic forum and and stuff like that you know, there's quite a there's quite a network uh, that's been built up that always it always seems to be the same network the same organizations behind all these behind all these uh, different various initiatives uh, they're all yeah, they're all interlaced um, as far as the world economic forum is concerned uh, I did a, we did a series of articles uh, last year on the, one of their initiatives they've got several you know they've got the uh, the young global leaders thing project, which yeah. is, which, which which spawned Trudeau and Macron. Oh, all of them, <laughs> all the leaders. Yeah, they're all. all, all... all but there's also a, there also a thing called um, Global Shapers, which is sounds sinister actually. The name I don't know why they chose that title because it just sort of, <laughs> sort of cries out conspiracy. Doesn't yeah. So, but it was it's supposed to be a it's supposed to be a network of um, of young people. Or a network would suggest something coming from the, from the grassroots upwards, but of course it wasn't. There's nothing of the sort, and it's uh, it's got various hubs. It's the World Economic Forum runs it, and it's got a website, and you can actually go in as as we did look look at all the various hubs and these various hubs and what all their activities are, and also the, the various members of the hubs. Now these aren't ordinary young people; they seem to all of them to be involved in various businesses that are closely related to the overall agenda. Such mm-hmm. as impact investment, or you know, high tech, and uh, you know, genetic engineering, and all this, you know, defence. There was a strong so-called defence. I'd call it well, weapons industry or connections to the weapons industry. Wow! And um, the Carlyle Group is closely connected with this. Man, you know, so it's, it, it's it's just the same. It's just that same establishment that we've always seen lurking behind everything everything horrible and, and you know duplicitous duplicitous and murderous in the world except now they're pretending to be uh, you know, they're pretending to be green or they're pretending to be a network of young people or they're pretending to be uh, about uh, people's health or you know it's just it's just the sort of the successive masks you know there's this thing about wearing during the so-called pandemic, there was this thing about wearing two or three masks instead of just the one to protect yourself. It's like they've put on several masks of uh, virtue signaling to, to hide, the, hide the reality of who's behind all this. And it's Tony Blair is involved with this global shapers thing. And all, all, the, all the usual candidates. Yeah. And and I, I feel like a lot of these, the younger people, especially, and when I say younger, I'm not talking about children per se. I'm just talking about people that have come up the ranks, you know, I mean, and if, if anyone has taken any time looking at the history of the World Economic Forum, you know, it's been going for a few decades. And a lot of these young global leaders like your Macron and, and Trudeau and that, you know, they're not young people and they're middle aged people now. Mm-hmm. But but they were young at one time and they, they kind of went through that. So, you know, the point that I'm getting at here is a lot of these people um, that we're now seeing that are very prominent in the public space, that are influencers, that are leaders, etc. These people have actually been groomed um, to be there. They, they didn't just happen to, you know, by luck and by happenstance, just happen to be there, you know, and find, the, find yeah. their way there. Um, so... Uh, 
and and yeah, I mean, we can see all of this playing out now in lockstep. You know, it's it's almost like as soon as there's one announcement somewhere, there's announcements everywhere. You know, and it's all the rhetoric and the language is all the same. You know, um, yeah. Is it is it fair to say just to kind of wrap up this segment, and then I want to switch gears a little bit? But would it be fair to say that from the climate perspective? that you know um we've seen this we've seen the destruction of capitalism of industrialization of extractive economics and all these types of things we've seen the impact that it's had from the environmental side of things the pollution side of things the socioeconomic impacts as well do you feel that in a sense um the the same corporations that have been responsible for the destruction and now with organizations like the World Economic Forum and governments around the world accelerating that destruction, do you feel like they've they've kind of like farming the rebuilding out to the same people? Does that make sense? Do you know what I mean? So so I, I, I come and break it all down and then I get contracted to rebuild it. You know, I mean, this is a classic war tactic in a sense. Yeah, I think it is. It's like it is that same thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, which is kind of, and you know, again, I, I defer people back to the Who Are They podcast because that's where, you know, I kind of tie in the links between these, you know, your Black Rocks and Vanguards and these mega corporations with the nonprofits and and then with governments, you know, so there's, there's this circular kind of thing going on in the background that most people are unaware of. But, but here's, you know, just coming full circle back to what we were talking about before, um, if we can acknowledge that climate change is a thing, right? And it's going to differ from region to region and you know, topic to topic. Um, and we can acknowledge that industrialization, capitalization, corporatization, whatever, is responsible for this destruction. How do we go about actually solving the climate crisis without the corporations and you know, tech, technocracy and all of that sort of stuff. And and can we view this from a more holistic perspective, in a sense? Yes, I think we've got to, you know. Um, but that's almost being forced upon forced upon people now, happily, because we've seen uh, what we've seen the point to which we've come. It's not as if it is it's very difficult for anyone to argue now that things are all right. That things yeah. can just carry yeah. on as they are. Yeah. Because they're not all right. We can see that. And yeah, the, the, the problem—the problem behind the uh, problem behind, problem behind uh, the general crisis of our civilization—is uh, came has come to a head with everything we've had over the last two years. It's almost an almost inevitable consequence if you have increasingly centralized power, which includes control of uh, sort of private mafia, which has taken control of all the governments and various global and uh, international national institutions of the media throughout the world academia this is, and that's what's been happening uh, uh, just one one group of interests has taken control of everything inevitably they're going to reach a point where they where they they think they can they can just dominate everyone and do whatever they want and they're going to you know decide that they're not even going to pretend to be democratic anymore which seems to have been what's happened in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, right now we're on to the next stage. We're on to, you know, this is the, our, our, new, our new normal, our new, uh, our new world, our new uh, whatever they call it. They don't call it. Oh, they do sometimes call it a new world order, though I don't like that. I don't really like the, uh, don't use the phrase much myself, but it amounts to that anyway, doesn't it? A new normal. Yeah. And um, 
So it's inevitably going to come to that. So we can therefore look back and say, uh, if we want, to, if we want to not just bring an end to this uh, particular crisis, if that were possible in isolation, but if we want to make sure it never happens again, then we've got to, to dismantle the structures that gave rise to it in the first place. So we've got to dismantle the, uh, we've got to undo the centralisation of power. Yes. Yeah. Starting starting back down from the global level, but I would, you know, I would argue much much further than that. You know, it's, it's you've got to, it's got to be decentralised right back down to local level, back down to community level, and then built back up on the basis of, uh, of shared empowerment and of uh, consensus and uh, you know of a cooperation starting from starting from below rather than something being imposed from above. And um, mm. and we've got to look at um, and we've got to look at the role of industry and technology, because uh, it's become a just a a reason by itself for for, for for a very long time now under this under this banner of progress and uh, and, and so on. That it's uh, just the fact that you can do something, the fact that the, the technology has been invented to do something, means that oh yes, we have to do it. And if we didn't do it, somehow we'd be missing out on on on, on the, the evolution of the. Of the, the, of the human uh, human species or something, you know, that, that it, there's something inevitable about it or worthy about it. But we've seen now, since with since, since the start of the COVID thing, where, where what this technology is used for, it, 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 you know, it's always going to be used to dominate and control, even when that's supposedly for our own good. It's still domination and control, and that's why it's evolved all along, in my opinion. But it's, it's, it's it's the same. It's, it's the same phenomenon as the growth of central power, and the growth of uh, you know the weapons industry, the arms industry, and uh, mm. and in, in global imperialism, and uh, you know the, and the rest of it. It's, 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 it's all part of the same phenomenon, which is which is this system, which doesn't work because it's collapsing and is destroying the world, and is and is enslaving people and destroying people's lives, you know. Making making children's existences useless and miserable because of its because of its demands. We, we, we don't need we don't need this system. People some people people until now have thought that there's something normal and natural and necessary about this system, but I think now is the time to say no. No, it's not normal. It's not normal. We happened to have taken this path that we shouldn't have done, and now is the time to to look at how we can undo that and find a different path, a healthy path. Yeah. What do do you have any? Um, th and I, I I agree with. I mean, I agree with with a, a lot of what you're saying. Um, you know, and I think the challenge for a lot of people is, you know, we we have technology, and something that I've always kind of subscribed to, if you will, is is you know, technology can be used to to save us, and technology can be used for bad things. But I think that as I, you know, and, I, and that's been something I've subscribed to for a long time. But as we got further into this, I'm kind of a little bit more cautious of even thinking like that, you know, because um, as we've just discussed for the last 45 minutes or so, um, you know, it, it, it might seem like technology is being used for good things on the surface, but you don't really know what's going on behind the scenes, right? But But here's something else that I'll throw on the table. You know, because I think a lot of people wrestle with this, right? So when we talk about moving through this, like how can we, you know, I think very few people would argue against something like sustainability. You know, I think we can all agree that we need to build sustainable systems. But what does that really look like moving forward? You know, do we all have to go back with spears and loincloths and go live in the woods? 
or is there a way that we could have some of these modern conveniences um, that we can still have technology, but still have something that's sustainable. And and I know that you know you and I don't have the answers here. We're just kind of having a discussion. But I don't know if you had any thoughts on that um, at all or any comments. Yes, um, I think it's to uh, well, I could, I could I could imagine ways in which uh, which human society could be genuinely sustainable rather than the, the fake sustainable that was being trying to sell. They're trying to sell to us. But um, <clears throat> just by living simply, basically. I mean, I don't think it has to be. You know, I don't think you have to. I don't think you have to imagine something. Uh, you know, just you, you, what you're saying about spears and things. Well, yeah, yeah. hunter gatherers or whatever. But I don't think you need, personally. I don't think you need to. You need to go to that point. I think if people were using, uh, people were growing their own food, bringing up their, you know, and I, I wouldn't, you know, having their own goats or whatever as well, you know. Mm. And uh, living in a small-scale rural way, with small towns, maybe you know, technology. What's technology? What a pump, a water pump, or a well, or some things like that, or a plow, a uh, horse-drawn plow, or whatever. Isn't it? it's, it's technology, but it's uh, it's not the sort of technology that is a, that is really a problem. Mm. But I think mm. those are details that, 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 that would have to be you know have to be uh, decided by by everyone, not. Not yeah. me or you or anyone else, but I th- what I think what I think we've got to do is um, now is the time to to have that a serious conversation about what we want for the future, which is and that is what to me what has been lacking is that yeah. it's, the question is just not on the table. You're not you know you're, you're just considered to be insane if you if you question even just the very latest ex- excesses of the te- technocratic system. You know, you're, you're a Luddite, or you know, which is seen as a bad thing. Which is, I don't think being a Luddite is a bad thing. But uh, yeah. you know, you're, you're seen as being insane or malevolent in some way, or you know, wishing wishing uh, death on people because you don't want them to to have all the benefits of a modern medicine or something. You know, you it, it, we're not having a conversation about where we want our civilization to go. And if we're not going to, uh, if we're not going to have that conversation now, when are we going to have it? We've got, yeah. Yeah. You know, well, everything is everything is very reactionary, right? And I mean, like, let let's just you know, I'll mention the pandemic here for one minute. Um, there is still to date. I mean, this is going on year number three now. There is zero discussion of prevention whatsoever. There's zero discussion of how to strengthen or bolster your immune system at all. Uh, there is very little discussion of treatment options at all. Like that is just not occupying the public discourse at all. Everything is we've got to you know vaccinate and boost our way out of this, and that is the only solution that is on the table, which is again a very reactionary solution. It doesn't work, um, as we're seeing. And of course, who profits the most? Um, the pharmaceutical companies and everyone else that's in that space. You, you know, I mean, when Omicron first hit, uh, I think it was Pfizer. They made nine billion euros in the first week of 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 Omicron hitting. You know, like. That's not you and I. And of course, then there's the lockdown. So all the collateral damage falls on the on the general public, you know, the school closures, the business closures, the whatever. Um, so I think you're right. And, you know, something you said before, I think really hits the nail on the head. And, and I've been preaching this for a while is um, getting back to community. And this whole idea of decentralizing, right? You know, one thing I've done in, in I live in a small town um, here in Canada. And, um, you know, one thing I've started doing over the last couple of years is really starting to connect with like-minded people to start like actually relying on 
people in the community. Because can you think, you know, think about it another way. I could, if I wanted to, I could literally just sit here and never leave my house and I could get everything I need for my survival. I could order groceries. I could order whatever I needed and I could get it dropped off on the front porch. I don't even have to see anyone. You know, I literally don't have to speak to another human being and I could just survive. And I think that that is kind of where they're looking to take us in a sense. Uh, mm -hmm. Because then all of your information and all of the programming that you have all comes digitally through the internet. And as we're seeing with media, um, you know, media and politics and whatever, uh, censorship and all of that, I mean, you're just fed whatever information the algorithm wants you to see. And as soon as you step outside and you start talking to real people, it's a completely different experience, you know. And uh, and so, yeah, that decentralization, I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan of decentralizing everything personally. Um, that would include, you know, uh, economics, food, all of that sort of stuff. Because, you know, um, a great example, again, is the small town that I live in is is about an hour uh, hour and a half from Toronto, which is one of which is like the biggest city in Canada. And anytime anything happens in the city, because we're right on the outskirt, you know, we're on the the far outer reaches of the outskirt. We get lumped in with them, and so it's right. like you know. So it's like if I walk around town, you would not know that anything is going on. Like people are just carrying on with their lives, but we get lumped together with all of this. So the point that I'm making as is uh, th this this um, the centralization of power, right? It might serve some people to some degree. But you can't have laws and mandates and stuff in place that like coast to coast, you know what I mean? And the example I always use is, can you imagine you have a lobster fisherman in on the Atlantic coast and you've got a wheat farmer um, in the prairies? You know, the, their lives are completely different and you can't have the same set of rules and things that are going to serve both of those people um, in, in a sense. So, yeah. Um, I just wanted to see, um, I have, was there anything else on my notes here? Anything else that you want to bring up? Um, you know, I know we were talking about holistic solutions and stuff like that. Um, you know, uh, I, I, anything else on that side of things, just in terms of, um, you know, even the philosophical side of things, like how can we start viewing this climate change problem and this environmental problem and, uh, and move towards something that truly is a solution? Um, Mm, yeah, I think I think the I think part of the the, the viewing of uh, the environmental crisis as uh, simply a climate issue is part of a, a larger phenomenon of seeing seeing details in isolation hmm. rather than seeing the overall picture, which is which is which, which is obviously is holistic thinking, and I think that permeates the whole of our of our modern way of thinking. That we 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 fast. I mean, it's this this scientific, so-called scientific. Work. You know, I think that is that that's an sort of old-fashioned understanding of science, which has been, uh, you know, is not necessarily that shared by modern-day physicists and so on, who you know have a more holistic view of the world of the universe. But that, that we're stuck in this sort of nineteenth-century um, rationalist way of breaking everything down. You know, trying mm -hmm. to understand things by looking at units. Now, trying to, some <clears throat> somebody said once, it's like um, if you don't understand the uh, the plot of a film on the television, it's like you, you're going to dismantle the TV set, and look at all the look at all the insides to try and understand it. You know, yeah. you need to in fact in the other direction. You need to to take a step back and see and, and see something bigger than the detail. And um, 
So which ties in really with what I was saying about I mean, thinking about where our civilization is going. That we need to um, really start thinking big picture, but also start understanding that thinking big picture, thinking holistically, seeing the wood rather than the trees, mm. is 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 a basis for a general kind of wisdom. So um, because everything is interconnected, isn't it? Everything in the everything in the in our world, everything in the universe is interconnected. So if we start from if you start from down below and try to see all these different things and phenomena, phenomena and trying to work out you know how, how they how they how they um, interact with each other and one relates to another, you're never really going to fully understand it because there'll always be bits that elude you. But if you start from the top and say, well, there is a there is a universe which is one thing. To me, it's a living thing. That's an ancient wisdom that it's a living. Entity. Well, it must be living because parts of it are living. We're living, and we're part of the universe. And a thing that has parts of it that are living is, is living, isn't it? Even if you, you could say so, even if you think some of it, some parts of it are, are less living or are more inert. So the whole thing that we've got a living universe, which therefore acts as a as a, a living one living thing, and the parts of it, the parts of its body, which is the universe, the physical universe, are um, are not acting independently, as separate little little, little separate individuals or yeah. phenomena, but as part of one thing. And if you start looking at things from, looking at the, the whole of reality from that perspective, it, it's very different. I think you have, um, you have, you have an understanding of, um, how can I say this? An understanding of a, um, a, cohe- a cohesion behind it all of a sense behind it, of a pattern behind it all, which is always denied by the, um, by the sort of rationalist, materialist outlook, which says that, you know, we've got this sort of human vanity of thinking that we create the sense of the world, or, you know, we, the individual, are the, are the center of everything. Everything only exists because we say it is, or we give it a, we give it a, a label, or we give it a, we give it a meaning. But the, I think that we need a bit of humility in saying that, uh, that this thing exists without us and that we are merely part of this living universe, this living organism ourselves. Yeah. And and we are part of the uh, nature is part of that. We are part of nature, we're part of the living universe. Mm-hmm. And our duty in fact is to act in harmony with nature and with the cosmos. And to, to abandon our little little ego which tells us that we are all important, our little needs are all important, our little vision is important. And to to allow ourselves to step back into a in, in, into a role that acts for the uh, a much greater common good, and not the common good dictated by governments, but the real common good, the common good of belonging to to an organic whole. I mean, that is, that is an ancient wisdom, actually, which you find in all the uh, which you find in all the all the spiritual uh, traditions uh, of the world, which is. I mean, you know, it still exists. People still talk about it, but it's it's, it's not mainstream. It, it, it doesn't dictate the way we see the world. Our society sees the world. Yeah. Well, you know, as someone who's spent a bunch of time with indigenous people and traveled around and, um, you know, again, longtime listeners of the show would would have heard me speak about these experiences. Uh, you know, what you are describing is, in fact, um, you know, ancient indigenous wisdom. And I think mm. if you go back pre-industrialization and you go back in time, people always lived in nature. You know, I mean, even science itself 
pre you know pre Newtonian physics and stuff like that. Uh, you know, it was always the, the domain of um, of of uh, I don't want to use the word religion necessarily, but it was in the spiritual domain where we wanted to understand nature so that we could live and integrate better with nature, that we could live more in harmony with nature. And the modern um, reductionist viewpoint is, you know, again, I want to take each of those parts, uh, uh, you know, and, and separate them. And then I want to manipulate each of those parts to my to my liking. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, one only has to look at modern medicine to see how that has failed us. Um, you know, modern medicine has basically compartmentalized every aspect of, of the human being um, to the point where, you know, your immunologist doesn't know what a gastroenterologist knows, doesn't know what a neurologist knows and so on and so forth. And from my viewpoint, you know, once you zoom out and you look at that as a whole, you do realize that your mind affects your physical health and vice versa and so on. And I think, um, you know, when, you know, as you said, when you look at the earth, uh, when you look at the cosmos as that living entity with everything um, interconnecting and interplaying, you know, I think that we've 100% lost that uh, in, in, mm -hmm. in a way. And, and I feel that, you know, people are really, really detached from, from nature. You, yeah, you know, like our food supply, nature, the natural world, um, and and I I fear that we're kind of heading even further down that road as technology advances. You know, we we are, and a secondary problem is that uh, even people who um, even people who talk about nature and who think they like nature are also detached from nature because they're seeing it as something outside of them. Right, they're saying oh, that, that nature over there, you know, <laughs> that's that that thing there. It's the view from the, it's the view from the. <clears throat> from the from the window of the uh, of the train as you pass through the countryside, mm, you know. mm, mm. or on the end with this 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 whole you know no, new deal for nature, thing. you know nature is isn't isn't the isn't the people that live in the in the hills of Kenya or whatever. It's it's the hills and the wildlife, but not the people. You know, so we, huh. we chuck the people to, to protect to, to protect the nature. You know, it's, so there's a misunderstanding, even when it's used in a even when nature is supposedly cast in positive light there's a misunderstanding as to what to what it really is because nature is really just everyone's living isn't it it's just life right right yeah do, do you feel um as we you know i mean as you said earlier the this this you know so-called pandemic has really brought things to a head and i think for a lot of people you know if you ask people they they have questioned what they're doing with their lives, why are they here? You know, there's a lot of existential questioning going on. Do you feel um, on the positive side of things, I mean, do, do you feel that as we move through this and we have this so-called great awakening or what have you, um, do you have any like insights onto what that might look like on the other side um, if, if we had a crystal ball here? And, and I know it's your opinion and speculation, but nonetheless, it's a, good to entertain these thoughts, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, I'd like to think. I'd like to think we'd see people. We'd, we'd see people uh, doing like what you were describing, uh, cooperating on a local level. I've had that here actually. I've had a lot of people where I live. This is I'm in rural France. Are talking about the need to um, for uh, mutual aid mm. and for uh, creating networks of uh, for food autonomy. Huh. Uh, on a local level, I mean, this is you know, I've, I've heard this from two separate circles of people uh, talking about the same idea. So I, you know, I imagine that's happening everywhere. Yeah, particularly in France, which is quite a rural country. 
So I don't I mean, traditionally people have, yeah, people have talked about that before, of course, and that's always been crushed or any such initiatives because, you know, the, the state and industry want to control. Yeah. But if, uh, if, there is, if there is a breach in the system now because of the collapse and uh, the collapse in confidence of the system, if nothing else, because even if they, um, even if the structures of, uh, of government remain intact after the possible collapse of the uh, COVID uh, narrative, mm. I think there'll, there'll be a, this would be a terrible collapse in confidence and, uh, and, uh, yeah. And a, you know, and a real desire for something different, and yeah. and if that could, that would be a great start, and and in cities as well, it doesn't in a rural area, people just to say no, we're going we're going to do things ourselves. We're never again going to fall into that trap of being dependent on uh, on the authorities to run our lives for us. Hopefully, people yeah. will come offline as well, me me included, because I've spent too much time on it trying to uh, combat all the propaganda that they've been. Uh, Churning out, you know, yeah, yeah. Nice make it an occasional, you know, an occasional visit rather than um, yeah. sort of permanent, permanent warfare. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's cha- it's it's challenging. I mean, it's it's difficult, you know, because I think that for you know a lot of people, just in terms of of coping mechanisms, they would rather just kind of bury their head in the sand or not look at things and it's difficult to look at things but then you kind of have the other you know the pendulum can swing too far the other way where you're just glued to social media news etc and uh, and that can become equally um you know overwhelming and and cause a lot of anxiety for people but you know i think you're correct actually um with with regards to you know i think that that if if anything is true at this point um trust in institutions has become severely eroded um, you know, even people that were staunch, uh, you know, I don't want to use the word government, but even just science, you know, so supporters of science, supporters of medicine, believers in all of that. Um, and it's not to say that that I don't believe in them, but boy, the corruption and the hijacking of, of these institutions by corporate interests and so forth. I think that's all coming out in, in the wash now, you know. And mm-hmm. um, and as you said earlier, you, you know, more and more people um and I think I think we're, we haven't even seen the end of it yet. I think we're still coming to that, where people are going to look at things and sort of go, you know, like food prices is a great example. You know, so in in the stores now here, I don't know what it's like where you are, but um, you know, the food prices have gone up twenty to thirty percent over the last year and a half. And when you look at things like meat and dairy, that's gone up even more. So grocery bills have gone up and people are sort of going, well, what do I, how do I, you know, how do I navigate that? And then maybe their income has gone down because job losses or what have you. But I think when you, when you look at that and then you lay on top of this, you know, let's come back to the vaccine discussion because, you know, you've got this, 20, 20, 20 to 30 percent of people who will just comply all the way through. They're just going to keep on going. Whatever they're told to do, they're going to do it. you got 20 percent on the bottom end of people that will never comply, right? And they're just going to say, there's no way I'm doing it. It doesn't matter what you're going to do or how, how much you coerce me. It's not going to happen. And then you got this 50 percent in the middle who who are are now sort of going, well, hang on a second. I did everything that you asked me to do. I've 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 taken I've taken the shots. Uh, maybe they've taken a booster, but it's like now are we still going to have more passports? Are we still going to? And it's this division in society and segregation of society that a lot of people are waking up to right now, and that's kind of forcing them to go. Well, you know, like again, different parts of the world are are, are um, in different phases of this, but what's just happened now in uh, in Quebec 
which is one of our provinces, you know, first of all, Canada is talking about mandatory shots across the board um, for anyone five years old and up, which is completely insane. Um, but anyway, when you layer on top of that, I mean, there are countries in the world now as well uh, where access to essentials, so access to food, access to petrol or gas, uh, you know, these types of things are now all hinging on your vaccination status. And and mm-hmm. these types of things are now coming to the surface in uh, in Quebec. And, and I suspect that they're going to happen elsewhere. You know what? And it comes back to what you were saying. The further that you drive that wedge, people are not just going to want to have to look at at, uh, at, at decentralization and building communities. They're almost going to be forced to do it. And, and and in that sense, it might be the silver lining in all of this where that could usher in a more holistic, sustainable way of living. Um, and we might very well have a segregated society where, you know, I mean, the World Economic Forum has spoken about that, where you're going to have people living in smart cities strapped to the VR goggles and working in the metaverse. And then uh, you're going to have other peoples that are in the countryside that have been ostracized from society and they're um, milking the cows and hunting and doing whatever else. Um, and uh I don't know. Maybe maybe we're gonna work our way there. Who knows? <laughs> my day, my day. Yeah. Um, well, Paul, um, we're coming up on an hour, so I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap things up. But um, you know, great to great to meet you. Great to hang out with you, and um, certainly keep up the good work. Um, there's a ton of information on your website, so I can tell that you've been working at that for a long time. And uh, obviously, we will um, be directing people to your website. Um, is there anywhere else that people can find you? Um, I've got a, uh, I've got a blog as well, but, um, personal blog, but most of that is on the, on the winter right website. So no, there's no point particularly spreading it out. Uh, there's Twitter as well as the winter Oak uh, account on Twitter. Okay, great. So uh, winteroak.org.uk. And then um, I will link to your Twitter profile as well uh, in the show notes. Um, thanks so much for joining me. Keep up the good work. Yeah, thanks very much. Nice to talk to you. All right, you too.